0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is Episode 25, being brought to you today by DraftKings. You know, it's everyone's favorite golf tournament of the year in Augusta, Georgia, all those great golfers competing for the coveted jacket. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land not on the green, but in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you a free shot at a $1 million top prize when you download and sign up using the promo code TBPN. Now, if you haven't tried DraftKings, now is the perfect time. It's easy to play. All you have to do is pick six golfers, stay under the salary cap, and submit your lineup before the tournament tees off on April the 8th. Then all you have to do is sit back and follow the action. The more red numbers they have on the leaderboard, the closer you will be to winning some green. You rack up points for pars, birdies, finishing position, and more. Even though you may not be able to hit the course with the pros, DraftKings is giving you the chance to scratch your competitive itch and reign supreme. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TBPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at the $1 million top prize. That's code TBPN, and you can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit is required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. This is episode 25 of the Grizz Weekly Grind, and in today's program, as per usual, we'll talk about the latest games played by the Memphis Grizzlies, and that was the week that was. Also have a few PD's points, as per usual, and then our friend of the program today, the longtime and multi-award winning Mark Zumoff, TV voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, joins us to talk about an unsung and uh, largely unheralded Defensive star for the Philadelphia 76ers, the impact of getting George Hill via trade at the trade deadline, and also the great play of Tobias Harris and the influence of Doc Rivers. That's all in today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. And we begin, as we always do, with That Was the Week That Was. Grizzlies wrapped up their four game road trip. Monday night in Houston, taking on the 13 and 32 Houston Rockets. Grizzlies trailed by as many as 12 in this game, and the Grizzlies, with a big rally in the fourth quarter, outscoring Houston 30 to 19, taking the win 120 to 110. This was Jonas Valanciunas' night, season high 30 points, 15 rebounds, his fifth 30 and 15 game in his NBA career, all of them coming with the Memphis Grizzlies. It was also the DeAnthony Melton game. 23 points for him, including four of seven from downtown. Desmond Bain, 17 points off the bench. Uh, Grayson Allen was injured early in this one, taking a hard fall while committing a foul. Played only seven minutes, left the game with a sore hip, did not return. So Desmond Bain filled in admirably for him. Grizzlies, great offensively against a Houston team uh, that just didn't defend very well. Grizzlies shoot 54% overall and end up winning the game 120-110. to Grizzlies with 68 paint points, and the Grizzlies, for the third time this year, overcoming a 12-point deficit to win a basketball game. All three of those rallies, not incidentally, on the road. So the Grizzlies end that road trip at 2-2. Two losses against the Utah Jazz, bookended by wins at Oklahoma City and at the Houston Rockets the victory giving the Grizzlies a record of 22-22. The Rockets fell to 13-33, and 33, and the Grizzlies take the season series over Houston two games to one. Grizzlies return home, and then on Wednesday night, they take on the Utah Jazz, who had a very difficult road getting to Memphis. Their charter flight, uh, their 757, uh, hit a flock of birds, ruining one of the engines, had to make an emergency landing, returned to Salt Lake City. A number of the players were very shaken by it. Uh, Donovan Mitchell did not end up then making the trip to Memphis for personal reasons. I don't know if that was because he was so shaken by what happened on the airplane or if there was something else going on. Don't know about that. Grizzlies, as it turned out, would be shorthanded for this game as well. Grayson Allen's hip was not ready uh, for him to continue action. Justice Winslow, who also missed the Houston game with a sore thigh, missed the game on Wednesday night against the Utah Jazz, and Brandon Clark missed for personal reasons. So the Grizzlies were shorthanded against the team with the best record in the NBA, and the Utah Jazz, Um, their three-point shooting in the first quarter got them out to a lead, although the Grizzlies weathered the storm pretty well, and it was 29-28 after one quarter. Grizzlies, again, would trail by double digits in this one. Grizzlies came back. Just a fantastic second half by John Moran, finished with a game-high 36 points, had seven assists and three steals, which gave him averages of better than 20 points and seven assists for the month of March, becoming only the second Grizzly to do that in a calendar month. The other guy was in the building on Wednesday night, Mike Conley. Without Donovan Mitchell, uh, really flourished. 26 points, seven assists, and four steals for Mike Conley. Came up with a huge fourth quarter. Grizzlies had the lead through three quarters, but the Jazz outscoring Memphis 36-31 in the fourth quarter. Grizzlies scored 60 in the paint. That was the good news. Um, Bad news is they only made five threes. Grizzlies actually outshot the Utah Jazz 47% to 43%. Grizzlies had fewer turnovers. They were equal on the boards. They had more assists. They had just as many steals as the Utah Jazz. In fact, they made four more shots from the floor but they still lose it 111-107. The impact of the three ball was very, very evident there. Jazz improved to 36-11 and 11 before they go back home. Grizzlies uh, fall to 22-23 on the season with Minnesota coming in on Friday night and then back out on the road starting a four-game Eastern trip with Philadelphia on Sunday. So that was The Week That Was. Let's get some Petey's points for you. And the first one, it just rears its head against the Utah Jazz on Wednesday night. We know the Utah Jazz take a ton of threes. They make a ton of threes. They averaged 17 made threes a game. They made 16 in the game Wednesday night against the Grizzlies. And we understand that Utah leads the league in three-pointers made margin. They're like plus six per game. Grizzlies are on the other end of the spectrum. They're minus two and a half, three threes per game. Grizzlies made five. Utah made 16. The math is evident. Um, And we understand that the Grizzlies are outstanding in the paint, best paint scoring team in the league. But the fact of the matter is paint scores are two. Beyond the arc, it's a three. You understand now why analytically teams like the Utah Jazz do what they do, where 93% of their attempts are in the paint, or in the arc, and beyond the arc, it's about 48% of their field goals come from the three-point line. Grizzlies only took 18 for the game. The Jazz took 49. Um, At some point, and understanding that the Grizzlies have one of the lowest three-point attempt rates in the league, either they're going to have to change their offense that gives them more three-point looks, uh, and or they're going to need to have guys that can make at a higher percentage uh, than they have. I mean, Dylan Brooks was was 1 of 3 in the game. Kyle Anderson was 1 of 3. Desmond Bain was 0 of 1. Normally he shoots better than that. DeAnthony Melton was only 1 of 4. Uh, Grizzlies just didn't get a lot of looks from 3. And, you know, the Grizzlies, if you're not going to average in the low double digits in 3s made in a game, you are going to struggle. And that's where the Grizzlies are right now. Uh, You know, you just can't be minus 10, minus 9 in a game in three-point makes and expect to win. You know, the Grizzlies had just as many threes as the Houston Rockets, and uh, they ended up winning the game. Grizzlies had as many threes as Utah in the first of their two-game set in Salt Lake City, and they lost by three. This is a four-point game, and the Grizzlies were minus 11 on Wednesday night in three-point makes. So it just makes it really, really hard uh, to be – that far in arrears when it comes to made three pointers. Petey's point number two, you know, another thing we have to remember: this is an exceptionally young Grizzlies team right now. Since Gorgie Jang was bought out, uh, the Grizzlies are now, by average age, they are the youngest team in the NBA. Jonas Valanciunas is the old guy at 28, there's, so there's nobody on the team that is over 30, and uh, you have a lot of young guys trying to figure out exactly how this this whole thing works. And so Valanciunas. And Kyle Anderson, those have to be your veteran leaders. Um, you know, given that the Grizzlies are so incredibly young and that they've played one of the toughest schedules in the NBA to date, the fact that they're hovering around 500 and in the play, in race, uh, I think speaks volumes about the job that Taylor Jenkins has done with his basketball team. But again, it, it's a very, very young team, and there is no elder statesman. There is no gray beard to tell the youngsters exactly how this whole thing works. Um you know, and, and the Grizzlies, I think, are going to miss that a little bit. Just as last year, after Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill were traded to Miami, the Grizzlies lost a little bit of leadership because those grizzled veterans, particularly Jay Crowder, who had been to the playoffs multiple times, you know, you you do lose something when when you have a guy who's been to the playoffs with multiple teams, has been a really really good pro uh, to be a role model for for the younger guys, um, and that's something that the Grizzlies are not going to have this year. And so as they Make their way down the stretch. They're going to have to do it with youth uh, exclusively. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be an old guy here and I'm gonna yell at clouds for a second. Um, I have to uncork a probably uh, unpopular take. And all the uniforms, they're just too many. I mean, I remember back in the day, and like I said, I'll be the old guy yelling at clouds. I remember that you wore white at home. You wore your colored. Uniform on the road. Well, now each team has at least three uniforms, if not four or five. Um, you know, there's – you have your your standard white, your standard dark-colored uniform. You may have a third uniform with, with a dark uh, color on the jersey body. Then you get the city jersey, uh, and then you start throwing the throwbacks in. And, and now – and if you're the Utah Jazz or any team that made the playoffs – now you have the what's called the earned edition, which the Utah Jazz design was a very, very, very bright green uh, on Wednesday night. And I I was not a fan. And these uniforms that are specialty uniforms are basically one-offs. They're there for the year, and then you move on to something else. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that— it, now, this is not a criticism of the Grizzlies because I, I do like the fact that they do have the 20-year throwbacks. I get that. I like that. Their City Edition uniforms have always been very well executed, particularly this year's tribute to Isaac Hayes and Stacks Records. But to me, we're, we're just getting way, way too deep in the weeds with too many designs, and it's just – I don't know. I'm a traditionalist. I, I like to have – you want two uniforms? Great. A third is an alternate? Fine. Once you get beyond that, unless you are celebrating an anniversary, I don't think you need any more than three uniforms, but but that's just me. And like I said, I'm an old guy. I'm probably yelling at clouds. A lot of people like it, different uh, different designs, different colors and all that. But uh, I, I, I prefer simplicity when it comes to uniform design. Final Petey's point, uh, I think anybody who would have watched the game on Wednesday night uh, on Bally Sports got to see... Uh, a new identity uh, for the Grizzlies on television. Just to give folks some background on this, uh, when Fox decided to sell their regional sports networks, they sold them to Sinclair Broadcasting, which heretofore had been an owner and operator of local broadcast television stations. What ended up happening is Sinclair sold the naming rights to Bally, and so that's why you have Bally Sports South, Bally Sports Southeast, Uh, Bally Sports Florida, Bally Sports Southwest, Bally Sports Arizona, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The graphical look, some of you have said it's wonderful. Some of you have said it is terrible. Uh, You know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but uh, this is the new brand identity. So the Grizzlies will be seen on Bally Sports Southeast. The channel position is exactly the same. Whatever your distributor is, there'll be no changes there. I know a lot of people are asking questions about carriage. That's above my pay grade, and um, I really can't can't comment on it because I don't know what's going on. Uh, with all that, uh, there will be a Bally Sports app, which I have been told and assured is going to be far superior to its predecessor. So that's coming down the line. So um, the other thing I want to do too is we definitely want to tip the cap to our production group. When you think that this was a total rebrand, It was executed in a handful of months. Uh, It was executed during a pandemic where we're not traveling two games and we're doing everything from distance. And that the majority of us only saw the new elements during the All-Star break. And here we are on March 31st, and uh, this whole new look has been executed. And I know that our, our crew in the truck has spent untold hours Trying to integrate all the new elements when you every graphic changes, uh, every sponsor logo uh, has to be changed. All the graphical shells have to be changed. All this stuff has to be changed, and uh, and our crews done a fantastic job. And uh, I think the first telecast turned out pretty well uh, as far as integrating the the new elements and uh, and the new look. It's uh, going to take some use to. Getting, uh, getting used to the new score strip, it's going to take some use to uh, getting to the new music, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a new identity. It's the first time that a regional sports network uh, has done a rebrand in, in almost a quarter century. So massive undertaking, massive props to the Grizzlies uh, television crew for uh, putting this all together. I don't think people under, fully understand our TV crew, our producer, our director, Uh, Our replay operator, our graphics person, uh, and many others, they get to the television truck in the loading dock seven, eight hours before tip-off, and they are having to work to make sure that uh, the telecast goes as smoothly as it does. There's a tremendous amount of preparation work that is done in the truck. Hours and hours and hours before the game. So they put in a full day before the game even tips. And and then things get really serious and get really, really hectic. So uh, our thanks and our congratulations to the Grizzlies television crew for, for pulling it off. And I think that uh, the first telecast went really well. And uh, I'm sure that it will continue to get better and better as the season rolls on. And those are the PD's points for today. And uh, while we have a chance, for those of you who have been listening to the Grizz Weekly Grind, hopefully you've enjoyed it. If you would be so kind as to leave a review uh, and uh, a rating, that would be very helpful to us to figure out if we are going in the right direction with the program. We'd like to think that we are, but uh, we'd also like to get some opinions. Some of you may like what's going on. Some of you may not. Some of you may have some constructive criticism, which, uh, which we would love to hear. So if you wouldn't uh, wouldn't mind, leave a rating, leave a review, and let us know what you think of the Grizz Weekly Grind here on the Basketball Podcast Network. If there was one thing you could do, one bold action you could take, one inspired choice you could make, one investment guaranteed to transform Memphis, would you do it? If that answer is yes, then here's your chance. The Grizzlies Foundation is looking for Memphians to be the difference in a child's life, by becoming a volunteer mentor. There are 800 youth in Memphis waiting for your decision today, so don't delay. Join the movement. Become a mentor at grizzliesfoundation.org. This message is brought to you through the generous support of Garner Framing Company, serving Memphis for 70 years. They're a proud supporter of the Memphis Grizzlies Foundation. They're doing framing consultations by appointment, so call them up at 901-685-7796. So if you have framing needs, please call my friend Chris Garner, and uh, he will make sure that your project is is done to the absolute greatest, best standard you could possibly hope for. And uh, also, consider being a mentor. It would mean a lot to a young person here in Memphis. All right, let's get to today's friend of the program. He is the multi-award winning and longtime television voice of the Philadelphia 76ers, good friend of mine, and friend of the program today, Mark zumoff Mark, one of the things that I have to ask you at the trade deadline, there was a lot of thought that maybe Kyle Lowry returns to Philadelphia as a 76er. Instead, George Hill is at it. And I know that George has been coming off a a thumb injury. Uh, What was the rationale? What was the reasoning? What do you see as being the upside of George Hill being a Philadelphia 76er?
1: Where do I begin? First of all, he's a grizzled veteran who has seen just about everything you could see as an NBA player. He has versatility in terms of what positions he can play. He can get you into your offense. He can run off the ball. He's always been a more than solid defensive player. And like every NBA team, you can always use more three-point shooting. And last year, he was the three-point percentage champion, albeit as reserve with Milwaukee. So all good things come in time. We're going to have to wait. Uh, I think originally when he broke his thumb, and had the surgery. The thought was that he would be out for about a month. Now it's going on close to two months. But at some point, we'll get him up to speed. It's not going to take long because he is seen as mentioned just about everything, and he will be a welcome addition. <clears throat> the thing I really like, Pete, is the fact that Daryl Morey, when there was talk about Kyle Lowry or other players, uh, did not eat into the nucleus. They like this team, they like the fact that it has a defensive identity and Hill being not only uh, perhaps even a better fit, but uh, more importantly, they kept their nucleus intact.
0: Doc Rivers, very successful coach throughout his NBA career. You talked about a defensive identity, and that does sound like a Doc Rivers team. What is Doc, or Glenn Rivers, I know, I, I know before he got to Philadelphia, because there's only one Doc, Dr. J. Uh, what impact has Doc Rivers had on this, on this franchise and on this team?
1: First of all, long story short, we settled all of that. We do call him Doc. I call him Doc. So (laughs) that has not been an issue from the get-go. Well, first of all, you walk through the door and you are holding a resume that speaks, at least from a coaching standpoint, a possible future Hall of Famer, having a a double-digit year's career as a player, 13 years to be exact. And, of course, uh, coaching many teams and in 2008 winning a title with the Boston Celtics and coming off the most successful run in Clippers franchise history as the head coach. So you have that kind of gravitas as soon as you walk into the door. Tobias Harris, he had had previously as a player, so he knew what made him tick. And Tobias is having the best season of his career. Uh, Accountability has been a, uh, a word that we've heard a lot among Sixer players. Joel Embiid is in the best shape of his career. Of course, I think now his stage in life is such that he's beginning to realize the importance of leaving a legacy and what it takes to be a great player. But I think when you go through our roster, uh, Doc Rivers has managed to touch each and every player. And of course, what you said earlier about the fact that we are locked in defensively, that is the thing I think that has me most excited.
0: Tell us a little bit more about Tobias Harris. I've always liked his game and I've always felt that he's one of those guys in our league that never, ever, ever, maybe like Chris Middleton of Milwaukee, rarely if ever gets the attention and praise he deserves.
1: So as all boats rise with the tide, the campaign was on to make Tobias an all-star. Unfortunately, that did not happen. In a way, maybe a blessing in disguise, because I think he is using that as a chip on his shoulder ever since he found out he was not going to be an all-star. He's really picked it up in the absence of Joel Embiid. And having Doc Rivers and having played for him for 50-some games with the Clippers was really a godsend, because Doc understood all the buttons that needed to be pushed. Offensively, he's gotten him to make quicker decisions with the ball. He puts him in a lot of ISO situations as a post-up guy. He has put him in a lot of pick and rolls where he's been able to thrive. And Tobias himself has made an enormous commitment now on the defensive end. So all of those things have come together to make Tobias Harris, have not at all, star in the eyes of the rest of the NBA, certainly in our eyes.
0: Now, Joel Embiid has been dealing with injury issues. What is the prognosis for him and for his return to full health?
1: Doc Rivers, before our game against Denver last night, gave an update and said basically that he is working on the court, that he looks good, that they feel he is close, and I think the perception is that he could play as early as this weekend. The Sixers are in a maddening stretch right now, Pete. We have 10 of 12 on the road. We've just completed six of those road games, and now we come home for – Two home games are going to feel like road games. They're back-to-back home games Saturday and Sunday as we play you on a Sunday and we have Minnesota on a Saturday. So either of those games could possibly be uh, a re-entry point for Joel Embiid. Sixer fans are waiting with bated breath. I think the team's done a phenomenal job just staying afloat, but the Nets keep winning, and the Sixers, if they want the top seed, they need their top player back.
0: Give me a sense of... Matisse Thibault and what he has meant to your defensive identity as, as, a, as a young player in this league.
1: So in Matisse's case, Pete, and I know you have an understanding of this. Let me try to explain it to fans. Basically, he is a bench player who plays 19 minutes per game. So in that case, you break it down to whatever he does statistically on a per minute basis, figuring that if he were a starter, he would have numbers that would make him, Uh, part of the NBA leaders. So leads the NBA in steals per minute, leads the NBA in deflections per minute. Those deflections, a valued uh, stat, especially for the assistant coaches. And he leads all non-front court players in blocks per minute. Not that blocks and steals are necessarily indicative of the fact that you're a great defensive player, but it is indicative of the fact that he's all over the floor constantly. He's ball hawking. He's not only helping um, on his own man, obviously, but other players as well. And if he starts to hit that corner three with any kind of consistency, you're looking at a guy who uh, could be a Danny Green type player, in short, a three and D, as we call it in the NBA. So uh, they love Matisse Thybul. I know that he was rumored to be in a number of trade packages, and I'm only too happy that Daryl Morey was able to keep him.
0: One of the guys who has engendered maybe more criticism than he has deserved is Ben Simmons. You've seen every game of his career. How has his career progressed to where he is right now, and and where has he improved the most?
1: Believe it or not, uh, he's taken a great leap defensively, and he was first-team all-defense last year. This year, you can bet that when Doc Rivers and his staff sit down and say, okay, who is going to check who to begin this game – The first guy they look at is the other team's best player. And then the first player they look at is Ben Simmons, pretty much no matter who it is that presents that issue in terms of being the other team's leading scorer. He is that versatile. He can guard almost anyone. In fact, Ben has proclaimed himself to be the best defensive player in the NBA. And that one through five ability to guard has been uh, the main criterion for him. Uh, there's always the wish that he would take a three every once in a while or pull up and at least take a 17 footer if he's given the opportunity, but he has upped his game as a post-up player. He is always relentlessly going North and South, trying to get to the hoop. So those of us in Philly who watch him on a nightly basis say, man, Ben Simmons, look at all he does. We don't really care if he shoots two or three jump shots per game. But, of course, there is uh, a fairly vocal contingent that would like to see otherwise.
0: There's always a a vocal contingent (laughs) of contrarians everywhere it so seems. Um, Today's friend of the program is Mark Zumoff, the longtime and award-winning play-by-play voice on television of the Philadelphia 76ers. This is a Sixers team that has the league's best record in clutch situations. Final five minutes, margin within five, currently 19 and six. What's been the secret sauce to be that successful in close games down the stretch?
1: So the coaches will just give you a blanket statement and say execution, but let's break it down to some of the individuals, Joel Embiid. And I wanted to mention quickly for Joel, I think you'll find this interesting. We had a post-game interview with him, I want to say, much earlier in the season, January, after a win at Charlotte. And I remember asking him about becoming a father, which had happened recently. And I thought I stumbled on a minefield when he had said that he doesn't talk about it very often, and then continued for the next minute to talk about the fact that he loves being a father, how important it is for him to ha- leave a legacy for a son, to be a Hall of Famer, to win championships. So... It's all kicking in now for Joel Embiid. And among the things, Pete, that are kicking in is his ability to make shots at the end of games. Previously, the Sixers tried to use him as a go-to guy at the end of games. His back would be to the basket, and uh, invariably he'd be double-teamed and there'd be a costly turnover. This year he dropped 50 on Chicago and made a marvelous left-wing 17-footer against the Bulls in the guts of the game to win it. Uh, Sixers playing catch-up at home against Utah, dying moments, and out of rhythm three to send the game into overtime against the Jazz, and the Sixers were able to win that. Joel aside, Tobias Harris, maybe our best fourth-quarter player, um, has dominated fourth quarters. In fact, he dominated the overtime in that win against Utah. Uh, He has been a matchup nightmare for teams in the post because he's 6'8", 6'9", he's strong and uh, really can carve out space for himself. So I'd say um, execution, particularly as it relates to Embiid and Harris have been the keys for the Sixers, uh, certainly in the guts of the game.
0: Last thing for you, Mark, Uh, this has been a crazy year on so many levels for so many people. And of course, we're we're all doing our telecasts remotely. Uh, How have you found the experience of not being in the building for road games, not being able to travel and yet trying to describe and to inform and to entertain to the best of your ability?
1: Pete, I know you share my thoughts and that we're all fortunate to do what it is that we do. I mean, there are more U.S. senators than NBA broadcasters. So that, I think, first and foremost, is the perspective that we all have. Uh, The home games, you see live basketball. The only thing is you are in a plexiglass box. I tell people it's a little bit roomier than when a goal judge sits in for a hockey game. And then you are restricted to the monitor. So I could just think of instances in a recent game where there are calls and you are just trying to figure out what's going on because you don't have the peripheral vision necessary to be able to, you know, see an official uh, off the ball or to be able to hear the PA and hear what he, hear what he has to say. But, uh, you know, you limp along in that regard. Otherwise, it is what it is. And um, quite frankly, uh, I would like to think when things are going well, and if you had a fan who was asleep for 10 years and suddenly woke up, uh, he or she would have no idea that we were not actually on site at the game.
0: And, and there, there's a double-edged sword to that because <laughs> broadcasters like you and I are hoping that uh, people don't take the fact that we do a remarkable job, given the limitations that somebody might say, well, you really don't need to be there. And I've always felt it's like t- telling Edward R. Murrow, yeah, go report on the London Blitz, but you got to do it from Edinburgh.
1: As opposed to a burning rooftop.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. Which, you know, certainly imperiled him, but my goodness. Uh, Listen, where do you start? It's your access to the players and coaches and the insight that you are able to provide. Um, Just being able to speak with you before a game against the Grizzlies or vice versa. And you know that that 45 minute to one hour period before a game where it's coaches and friends and scouts and people in the stands and whatnot. By the time you hit the air, you got it all going on up here, and you're ready to deliver, I think, a message to the fans that's far more comprehensive than when you could do when you're stuck in a studio doing the games off a monitor.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Well, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, hopefully we'll get you and your son Pace out here to Memphis so you and I can play golf and Pace and I can go flying.
1: Like it. Let's do it.
0: By way of explanation, when I refer to Mark's son, Pace, uh, Mark's son, Pace is an airline pilot, and some of you may know that I earned my private pilot's license a few years ago, and during the course of my training, uh, if I ever needed a sounding board or if I needed advice in addition to my flight instructor, I would email Pace and he would give me some information. I've never met Pace, we've been trying to go flying for years now, but the weather has never cooperated, and when you know we're on the road and in Philadelphia, we don't have a whole lot of time anyway, so hopefully at some point, Pace and I will actually go flying, and his dad, Mark, doesn't much care for flying, but he does love to play golf, so we'll, we'll try to figure that out, so great to have uh, Mark along, one of the best announcers in the NBA, and just a wonderful guy and always very, very generous with his time and with his information. And I appreciate that for today's friend of the program. The Grizz Weekly Grind has been brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club since 2005. Their mission has been to assist young student athletes in grades one through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility and accountability. Hoop City helped young men be great on the court and in the community. And their alumni include major college and NBA players. For more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com, and you can also follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. That does it for Episode 25 of the Grizz Weekly Grind. Upcoming in future episodes, we will visit with Daryl Smith, the tournament director of the FedEx St. Jude Invitational Golf Tournament. Since uh, it's warming up, And uh, we're hitting the links a little bit. We'll talk about that. It's a big event on the Memphis calendar. And so that will be one of our 901 Knowledge segments coming up in the future. This has been the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.